Hello, and this is Films for the Very First Time. Just wanting to intro the episode here as you're about to hear some very bad singing for about 15 to 20 seconds for our theme song, which is a parody of Feels Like the First Time by Foreigner. So uh, if you don't want to hear bad singing, just skip the 30 seconds button uh, and you'll be introduced to the episode proper. If you're open to hearing my terrible singing, uh, just keep listening. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Hello and welcome to Films for the Very First Time. My name is Jordan. With me, as always, is Casey McGeorge. McGeorge? McGeorge? Actually, there? It's, uh, Abe Froman, Sausage King of Chicago. Oh, yes. Uh, how are you today, Casey? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. How about you, man? Uh, doing well. Um... It's it's been a uh, it's been a week. You know, I'm starting to really enjoy doing these on Friday, like the um, when you watch watching them? them on Friday. Yeah, it's like I get off work. I I cleaned up a little bit after after work on Friday, and then it was like you know sitting down and and watching a movie and you know grabbing the popcorn and uh, it's kind of been like a little a nice little uh start to my weekend you know is watching these movies and kicking back enjoying it and um so it's been like a good uh what's it called routine a a good routine on fridays now to sit back and watch a movie uh so yeah i'm really excited to talk about it we are talking about ferris bueller's day off life moves pretty fast if you don't stop and look around once in a while you could miss it which came out June 11th of 1986, directed and written by John Hughes, starring Matthew Broderick, Mia Sara, and Alan Ruck. Uh, You know, those are pretty much the the three leads, right? I mean, we get Jennifer Grey, we get a whole bunch of people, we get Ben Stein appearing, Charlie Sheen in a a small little moment, Louis Anderson even. Yeah, (laughs) cameo by Louis Anderson, I saw that. Christy Swanson is in this movie. Wait, really? Uh, but yeah, she plays uh, just an economic student. She's like a random background uh, person in the uh, Ben Stein class. The original Buffy. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. I'll come up with my own little summary here, but it is, you know, a spring day before graduation and Ferris Bueller is faking sick to skip school and wants to have, you know, a, a good final time with his friends before graduation hits. And uh, a lot of stuff happens that might derail that. But <laughs> this is what Ferris Bueller's Day Off is about. Um, yeah, so I guess where were we when this movie came out? Well, I'm sure our usual listeners will know that i was not even born when this movie came out but 
you know, my favorite movie is Back to the Future in 85. This movie is a year after. Back to the Future was my parents' like first date movie. Uh, or one of their first date movies. And uh, so, so that meant a lot to them. So they watched that a lot. I don't know about Ferris Bueller, but it was one that we had on VHS. And it was one that we watched a lot. And I would watch it a lot as a kid um, growing up. And, uh, you know, it's one that I own on on DVD. I didn't bust out the DVD for this. So I watched it on streaming. I want to get the, you know, the, the Blu-ray. I don't have the Blu-ray, I don't think. Maybe I, maybe I do somewhere. But it's, um, yeah, it's just a, a, a classic in my opinion and something that I just grew up watching. Now, Casey, where were you in 1986 when this movie released? Okay, real quick. Before we... Before we get to where I was in 1986, have you heard the wild rumor about Back to the Future? That's in no way true Which, or coming true. That what, what someone rumor? had to someone had to deny publicly that they no, were going to do it? a remake with Tom Holland as a Marty McFly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing's been around for a while, and the reason why is because people really like the Robert Downey Jr. Tom Holland dynamic and everybody kind of started fan casting them as such. Oh, but here's they, what I'm going to tell everybody. They got Robert, they're, they're fan casting Robert Downey Jr. as Doc Brown? As Doc, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I'd buy um, that for a dollar. It is not ever going to happen. Here's what I'll tell you, everyone. Uh, the people that actually own the rights to the movie of Back to the Future are Zemeckis and Bob Gale. Yeah, and they have said that no remake or sequel is happening at all. Um, it, they'd have to die for this to happen. And even then, I don't know who it goes to, if it goes to their children or whatever. Universal, I'm sure Universal has wanted to make a sequel or a remake and just cannot due to Zemeckis and Gale blocking it for so long. So, um, yeah, I, I did see that Holland did have to come out because he also had to debunk the rumor that him and Zendaya broke up. So, yeah. Um, I, I didn't know that guy just had a whole bunch of misinformation, I guess. Who was yeah, <laughs> so. I, I, I hadn't heard about that until I saw the, the thing. And like, I, I saw it about the Zendaya part first. And then I was like, and then when they talked about the first question they asked was like, is it true you're playing Marty McFly and remake of back to the future? And I was like, I get Zendaya. Like, I, I think I told you before, like I get the deal about <laughs> Zendaya now. Like I understand it. And I get her yeah, like, yeah. Her and Tom Holland are really cute together. I get that, but I'm like, let's back this truck up. You're talking about there's a remake of, of, of Back to the Future? Like, this is the first I'm hearing about it? And then, like like I said, now I know. Like, apparently, even in the whatever article I read, they were like, yeah, he was just making that up just to get something. And I'm like, what, why would you do that? Like, why would you even do that? Yeah. And, and now, and now I'm Tom hearing, Holland, I'd be like, what? <laughs> and then, like I said, with Robert Downey Jr.'s Doc Brown, that would be picture perfect. A, a crazy older like Rob, like a crazy Robert Downey Jr. playing a Doc Brown. Like yeah, I, I'd buy that. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I would even like I like I don't know if it would work because of the the not to go on too long of a tangent here. But when you look at how far back, like 85 to 55, was a big difference. I, 
I don't know if there's a big enough difference to go from 2024 to 1994 in a movie like this, because that's when it'd be time traveling back to as scary as that sounds. Go back it to would the be 1994. I think if they go back to the 80s, it would be. The 80s were such yeah, a different yeah, they'd time. They'd have to go I back think, to the 80s. But... I, I think it could. But... And in, in all fairness, anybody who's listening to this podcast, who's listened for a while, well, we go off on little tangents. Like they know what they know what they signed up for. They know what they're getting. Okay. Back to uh, Ferris Bueller. 1986. 1986. I was seven, eight years old. Um, I was about to turn eight in October of that year. Uh, I, I I didn't see it when it came out because I was eight years old. Um, my parents and my mom was never really into, she wouldn't have been into Ferris Bueller at all. So I never saw it when it would, when it was released on VHS at all. And then, I don't know, maybe it, it, it's one of those, I don't know. I, I know, like, it was big on HBO. I could have rented it. But by the time, like, it, it, it really got big or whatever, when I could have chose myself later to watch it, like, in my late teens, early 20s, that was the late 90s. Like, at that point, I'm thinking, why am I going to watch a quote-unquote old movie from the 80s? You know? There's newer stuff, yeah. like, you know, 97, like I said, uh, a couple weeks ago when we did Austin Powers, 97, I was like 19, 20 years old, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, I'm in the Army, I'm in Fort Stewart, Georgia, or I'm in Korea. Like, there's new stuff to watch. Why am I going to go back to watch a movie from the 80s unless it's like something major like the Goonies that I remember that I love, The Princess Bride, like, I don't know. Um, and then I, I, I know it's especially for a while it was always on rotation there on like either HBO or like TBS, TNT. TBS, it, I think. Yeah, it was always one of those that you could watch at any given point in time. Like there was, you could probably flip through and, and just see that it was on at least once a month or so. Comedy Central, maybe something like that. And I just never really got around to it. I don't know. It just. Yeah, I would just uh, guy skip school. Like, okay, great. He gets on wacky misadventures. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, while I was watching this the other day, I thought we don't get movies like this anymore, do we? That's just about like a kid skipping school. It's relatively down to earth movie. I know Ferris gets away with a lot of stuff here, but I'm talking about like. A lot of movies that are releasing in theaters right now have to have some sort of hook or have to have part of a franchise, right? Like, or, you know, like you're looking at Barbie. That's not really a franchise, but it's based off of a toy that did huge. Oppenheimer's a real life story. Uh, but I can't think of like an original movie that came out recently. It's just like a mundane John Hughes film. We don't really have like a current John Hughes, you know, who's out there making like Breakfast Club and. We don't have teen uh, comedies. Stuff anymore. like this. Yeah. It, it, well, super bad. And like, th- that's probably the last one that was something like before, this, but it's a little raunchy. Yeah, I was going to say, we had raunchy teen comedies for a period of time. Um, yeah. We talked about it like Euro Trip, Road Trip, American uh, Pie. So yeah, the American Pie franchise, which there's like 10 or 15 movies in that franchise. Like, a bunch of them were like straight to video. Yeah, only four good ones. And spinoffs. And there was just like, 
like I don't know, like there, there was way too many, way too many pods, way too many pods. Um, yeah, but and then so you, we have raunchy teen comedies, like you said, Superbad was probably the last one, but then I can kind of understand it. People nowadays are like, why are we being so raunchy with teen? Like, you know. And I get it. That's how teenagers kind of are, you know, like or some right, teenagers, right. not all teenagers, right? Some teenagers naturally are, and they're based off some sort of realistic experiences that some teenagers have. But and especially now, I don't definitely don't think it will work now because, like, if you think about it, they try to do some sort of teen comedy now. You'd have to be split upon like racial lines, and then you'd have like your geeks, your dorks, your jocks. Your different religious sects, your goths. Your... And, and kids these days don't really like. There's studies out there that say like Gen Z and below are not of like obsessed about partying or or having sex too. Not so a... their whole version of a comedy would be totally different, you know. Because like a lot of like the the ones like growing up, right? When we're talking about American Pie, when we're talking about Road Trip, and we're talking about Super Bad, it's about getting drunk and trying to hook up with somebody yeah uh but a lot of a lot of kids these even, days are not as we can even go that, back so. to when i was a kid and it was like porkies and stuff like that um also i think it has it might have a lot to do with uh there just came this point where parents started i don't want to say dictating but kids schedules started especially earlier as a kid started getting so regimented so, like, kids were doing stuff. Some kids were doing stuff before school, especially if they're an athlete and they're trying to, you know, like, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, stuff like that, soccer. Some of them are doing workouts and practice before school. Then they go to school. And then there's all these different clubs and things, inter extracurricular activities involved in school. Then there's stuff after school, whether it's your bands, your student governments, your other organizations your sports then there's other practices and things like that like i I remember as a kid as a teenager when i was in high school i graduated in 96 like yeah we did some extracurricular activities and we did sports but then there became a point where like i wanted to get a job so i could have money as a teenager right so like i would go to school do whatever. I played football after football season and in November, right? I was looking for a job in the mall or something. And I had a job where I worked at Boston Market for a little while. I worked at a kid's clothing store called the Children's Place, stuff like that. That was so I could have money to do stuff. But other than that, like, you know, between kids working or between a lot of regulations on it, I mean, I could only work like four hours a day. I couldn't work past a certain time anyway. They're trying to roll a lot of that stuff back now. Jesus Christ. But, uh, but like, you know, between them not wanting kids to work because they want them to, quote unquote, be kids. And they want them to, like I said, a lot of them, especially as competitive as it is for colleges now. And you got to have almost like this massive resume stuff that you did. And they got to go volunteer, do this stuff. And they got to be involved in all these other extracurricular clubs because 
Joey down the street and Becky around the corner doing the same thing and they're all applying to the same colleges and that can be the difference between getting in and not getting in. It's it's being a kid is nowhere near like what it used to be uh, back in the day. And and I'll get on a little soapbox. Yeah. Here. Like I remember as a teenager, like not necessarily getting kicked out of the house, but like I'd wake up in the morning, especially like during the summer time off. I gotta leave the house. You gotta go. You're either gonna stay here and clean, or you go out. I, you know, nine yeah. ten o'clock in the morning, I'd leave with my friends. My mom didn't care if I went to the moon, as long as I came back that night. Mm-hmm. She didn't know the stuff we were doing. Thank God, she didn't know the debauchery and things we were getting into. But it was just like, okay, uh, I'll, I'll call you later if I need something, and I that wouldn't be seen until like dark. Now they're you know it's different. So, I'm not saying it's right or wrong or good or bad. It's, it's the world's changing. It's different. All right, so we get our introduction here. This movie starts off right off the bat with Ferris, uh, you know, being checked on by his mom as he is getting ready to, uh, you know, convince her to to let him stay home. Before that, so. I watched this on Paramount Plus streaming, and A, I, I forgot how old the movie was until it came on, and I saw like how grainy it was. The old Paramount logo? <laughs> and then the old Paramount logo, and I forget what it said. Like, it was a, uh, the companies that it, Paramount belonged to or whatever, that were, it was at yeah. the bottom of it, and I was just like, Jesus, th- this thing is old and it's almost like 40 years old now and i'm like this is this is just ludicrous like i feel just incredibly ancient now yeah but then uh there's trying to play sick yeah trying to play sick here uh it works he's definitely the the favorite child you would say right like he is the one that gets away with stuff with his parents more than his sister does um, just the way they're even talking to him and the way he's responding to them at times is very like he's acting very young, you know, uh, with, with the way he's responding to them. That's the difference between an older babyish voice and a younger sibling. Yeah. The older will probably yep. usually get away with stuff. And I hate to say it, but at the time, that's the difference between having like a teenage boy and a teenage girl. Like the boys will yeah, be boys. They yeah. can do stuff like that. And teenage girls have to be very protective of, and this was, you know, back in the day, protective and both. Um. Uh, yeah. So we, once his parents do leave, we we get him explaining to the camera what he is. Uh, you know, the best ways to to get out of the situation, get out of school, and he says the the clammy hands is kind of what sells the mom, right? And he ex- he's explaining to the camera, just licking your palms when you're bending, like leaning over, like moaning and stuff. And it makes him a little clammy. And it's not as scary enough to rush you to the hospital like a, a fever might be if you are able to force yourself to have a fever and all this kind of stuff. So he's like, this is like the easy way to get out of this. Have you ever played sick? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I never, I never did to get. I was never able to to get out of school, 
Uh, my mom was a teacher, unfortunately, so that just didn't quite work. Oh, like, if, if I legitimately was sick, then yeah, like, I, I was able to stay home. But I was never able to, like, oh, I'm sick. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 you're not. You're still going to school. Um, now, especially as yeah, an adult, I have, would... I, have I faked some things to get out of work? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a kid, like, I wouldn't do it a lot, but there'd be some times where you're just like, I would have, like, maybe a faint headache, and, and then I'd play it up a bit to make it seem worse than it was to where I would stay home. And then it would usually go away because then I didn't have to worry about going to school anymore. Um, so I, I didn't never tried the clammy hands though. I never tried doing that or anything, but um, yeah, I, I've, I've, what would you say? Exaggerated before uh, to, to stay home. Um, but uh, yeah, we get Ferris talking to the camera here, something that uh, I would say isn't in vogue as much these days as well, right? This type of uh, this type of thing in uh, you know breaking the fourth wall in movies, I would say, isn't as prominent this way. Talking to the camera when it's not like a documentary. Um, fourth wall breaks we usually get nowadays are more like meta jokes. Deadpool-esque type stuff. Deadpool does talk to the camera sometimes, but like other than that, I can't think of many movies these days where the character just looks at the camera and starts uh, talking. But but with Deadpool, that's at least part of him because that's what he did in the comics, I guess, right? Yes, yeah. So yeah. That, uh, that's kind of organic with, with, with the Deadpool character. So like if, I don't know, what what give me a movie that's coming out this year. I don't even know what's... Any Ghostbusters? Yeah. So if like, in in all of a sudden, in the middle of a new Ghostbusters movie that's coming out, Paul Rudd just like started talking to the camera. It'd be kind of <laughs> weird. Like, I, yeah, this is yeah. this was kind of weird, but they also established Ferris doing it to the camera like in the very very beginning, very early. Yeah. So you just kind of get like, okay, like I guess he's talking to us. But yeah, like if Paul Rudd just either in the beginning of the movie or like halfway through the movie, just start talking to the camera and be like, wait, 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 what's going on here? Yeah. So we see him like, uh, you know, while he's explaining all of this, he's setting up some of the stuff that's going to happen later. Right. I think he's like putting together the mannequin that's going into bed when he's, when he's talking about some of this stuff uh, to us. And then we see him, you know, going to get showered and, uh, you know, he's going to call his friend Cameron, but, you know, before we see Cameron, I believe is when we kind of get the school reacting to Ferris being out, you know, um, yes, the teacher is Ben Stein. He's, you know, the one saying Bueller. I think this was our Bueller, first introduction to Ben Stein. Bueller. <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, like in, in movie. It, I knew him growing up from this and the red eyes, clear eyes commercial. Yeah. What do you I, do? I think, he, the... I think that this might have led to that. And then not, like he even had like his own, I think it was like a game show type thing on Comedy Central. I think it was like Win Ben, yeah, Stein's, Win money. ben Stein's Money. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't know. I mean, they had Alex Trebek. I don't know why Jeopardy didn't kind of hop on the Ben Stein thing. Maybe, maybe we're past the Ben Stein craze. There was like a period yeah, I think in we like are. the late nineties or early two thousands. He was kind of big. He he's a little uh, 
crazier now, I think you would say, like, uh, politically. Um, wait, wait. he was oh, Richard Nixon's speech. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. He had a political career as the speechwriter and lawyer for <laughs> President Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford. Oh, so he's he's one of... Never, yeah, we're not going to touch yeah. it. Never mind. No, yeah, no, it was disappointing. <laughs> what you see some of his uh, some of the stuff he said since then. Uh, so just maybe uh, stay away from that if you want to keep Ben Stein in your in a personal uh, memory. Um. So right after Bueller, then we get him asking for Fry, which is Cameron Fry, played by Alan Ruck, who is a hypochondriac and is you know laying in bed worried he is his dying. How many um, A-name students are in this class? Jesus. Oh, yeah, because they go through a few, right, before we get yeah, to they, Bueller. He was at, he was taking attendance in alphabetical order. There was like nine or ten people with an A, like that started at A, and then it... At a last name, yeah. And then it went to like Bueller, and then it went to like, it just skipped like three letters. Right to Fry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, do a little, you can spread out a little more, that's all I'm saying, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this is Cameron Fry, played by Alan Ruck. Uh, I love Alan Ruck, by the way. He was always... Uh, in this movie, Cameron is my favorite character, and he is the character I identified with a lot growing up. I was more of a Cameron, hypochondriac, you know, rule follower than than a Ferris, who is a, you know, self-absorbed, uh, self-absorbed, <laughs> you know, He's a dick. Rule breaker. Let's just put it out there. He's a dick. Yeah, he is. Um, but... Alan Ruck. I, I love Alan Ruck. He, he appears in so many things that I was gonna I've say, watched what else, since then. What else would I have seen him in? Like, he, he's he got that face that is familiar. Like, you know the face. You've seen the face. Yeah. And probably recognize the well, voice, but I can't place him in anything. But it's like, oh, He yeah, was in two episodes. Two episodes of Psych he's been in. You watch Psych, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember that. I think they, they were. Yeah, I, think so they, I think in, I remember hearing they were. They were really excited to have him on there because they were like big pop culture fans and fans of the eighties and yeah. stuff like that. So that for them that was like he was one of the he was the one who was robbing the bank when Gus is stuck in a bank in, yeah. during the robbery. He's the guy robbing the bank. He also appears later in the remake of uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Murder that they do later in the uh, final season or so. Uh, he's appeared in so many TV shows as like one-off roles, but I knew him also from uh, growing up from Ferris Bueller. But then I was also an avid spin city watcher back okay. in the day, which was a show starring Michael J. Fox. Jennifer Esposito. And, uh, yes. Um, uh, 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 Richard kind is in it. Yes. And yes, yes. Yes. So I remember watching Alan Ruck is in that show as a character. So, Okay, I now, watched it for Michael J. Fox, and I, I, I love having Alan Ruck in it. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of picture him in there now. I, I, I used to watch. I don't yeah. watch it all the time, but I watch it when I remember it was on or like flip through. Like, oh yeah, that was a pretty good show. It was. I, I, I like it all the way up to Michael J. Fox leaving, and I did not watch much of the Charlie Sheen years. Tro oh that's yeah, there right. You go. There's another connection before to that's Miller. right. Before uh before he got two and a half men, he was he took over from Michael J. Fox. Yeah. In the last season or two of Spin City. That's right. The last two, yeah. And then when was Two and a Half Men? B 
because that was this show ended in 2002. So it had to be right after, right? I'd say within, if I had to guess, I'd say within two years of that. Knowing how pilots work and everything, no more than maybe two, two years. Two and a half men was 2003. Yep. So he went pretty much finished that one show. season of like the fall season of not having anything. And then he was probably filming a pilot in early March. Yeah. You know, and then he was, yeah, and he then was back I, on the air again. He was probably auditioning, doing whatever, filmed the pilot, and then. That's when they're like, okay, yeah, so. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so Alan Ruck is in this as Cameron. Um, And then we are kind of introduced to the dynamic of him and and, uh, Ferris, where Ferris is calling him saying, hey, come pick me up, you know, because Ferris took this day off wanting to do a bunch of stuff, but he doesn't have a car. So he is kind of stuck with if Cameron is going to, follow through i'm guessing this was planned right he was going to skip today cameron was going to skip today and he was going to call him and they were going to have this plan to get out of school and he's worried about cameron kind of backing out on this uh and cameron is just lying there in his very 80s bed with his 80s voice messaging machine and (laughs) telephone this and i'm glad you said that between the intro and the Paramount symbol, <laughs> and yeah. everything of the wood paneling station wagons in the beginning that we yes. see. This might be the most '80s movie to ever '80s in the history of the world. <laughs> Probably. Probably, even the school looks very '80s. Yeah, the high the, the payphones in high school and the. The the green the computer screens with just green letters on a black background. Yes. Because back then they didn't do anything else. They couldn't show any any graphics or anything. Um Yeah. Yeah, there was no like operating system really until Windows, right? Like when we talk about like the operating systems we're we're used to. Well I think Mac whatever Mac used was I think the first one really. But okay. Back yeah, back in the day it was like you had to know like prompts and commands for stuff. The mm-hmm. the size, the five and a quarter inch floppy disk he put in into his keyboard later. <laughs> yes. Uh it's always funny when, when you hear people or see people online say that like people just associate the save symbol with saving, like especially a younger generation. They didn't know it was a floppy, like an actual thing. I've like, seen people like had, not know yeah. it's a real thing. We actually had to say, like that was because that was the shape of the disc that we actually used to have to save stuff on. Um, yeah. I mean, look, I, I feel like I'm not even that old, right? I'm only 32, but I did have to deal with floppy disks. There's an era where I had to take those to school and like save my stuff on it and bring it home and put it in the home computer to continue working on my, my paper or whatever during middle school. Look, I remember eighties. Uh, there might be one computer in the classroom, right? Yeah. And everyone would get like a designated time. Like, you would get, like, 30 minutes during the week, and everyone would have, like, a designated time. So it'd be, like, whatever it was, like, Tuesday at, like, one thirty would be your time to go. 
And I, I would like, I would always play like Warren Wolves, Con San Diego on there. But yeah, like yeah, when people play Oregon Trail stuff like that. But yes, yeah, classic. Um, but, yeah, that like. Also, how did, did was he the only person in this area to have the internet? How, like, how is he hacking into the? How is he changing his, his days off in the computer? From <laughs> his home computer, like we don't like we didn't have the internet back then. What is going on? Is this one of the earliest forms of hacking in a movie? Because also, <laughs> like, wasn't he in like War Games? Wasn't Broderick in War Games? Uh, maybe. I know him also as Simba from The Lion King. He yes, he was in War Games. Yes, he was. Simba? Yes, he plays. Um, in the cartoon, yes, he plays the, the... young uh, adult Simba. Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. But yeah, like, because I, I think War Games came out a year, couple years after this. Eighty three, and... it says actually. So it was oh, so it came that. out before this. Wow. Yeah. So I think War Games might have been the first example of hacking, but yeah, like, but there was no internet. How is he? How is he connected to the school computer? Which I know it's a little ahead, but like, what the hell's going on? Here? Yeah, like, how's uh, this happening? I don't know. Because in my life, the internet's been there, so I would I bought it each time. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, so he's he's talking with Cameron. I like this part where Cameron hangs up and says, "I'm dying," and he immediately calls back and you're says, not "You're not dying." dying. Like he yeah. knows what Cameron's thought process is. Friendship and, goals. Uh, That's friendship goals right there. Yes, Cameron does come over, and he gets a little cheered up. Right, Cameron looks like he's having a ball when he calls Rooney as uh, as Sloane's father mr peterson but before we get to that uh-huh this is set in chicago or sherman illinois which is yes right outside of chicago 30 minutes outside of chicago yeah but quick other side note um in kevin smith's dogma right he's a big movie buff and 80s fan and he loved john hughes films so jay and silent bob their characters come from new jersey right and They've seen all the John Hughes films, right? And they all take place in Sherman, Illinois. Chicago. No, they take place in Sherman, Illinois. So their characters in Dogma decide that they want to go to Sherman, Illinois. They don't realize it's not a real place. (laughs) They travel all the way over there. (laughs) And then they get there and they're like, there is no Sherman, Illinois. But, um, uh, okay. Why is he wearing a Detroit Red Wings jersey? in chicago that's a good question i was i was wondering that too like that Um, that can be equated to almost like gang warfare like i'm not a big hockey fan right i follow the nhl playoffs and everything and the stanley cup because it's the stanley cup like that's cool and if i have a hockey team it's the new seattle one the the kraken because they got a cool nickname the kraken i like that and i no one can blame me for being jumping on a bandwagon right because i got with them when they were brand new but I know, like, these these teams are very tribal and, like, region-specific and everything. So, like, to have someone in Chicago well, who is a Detroit I have an answer for Red you. Wings fan is crazy. I have an answer from you from he, Alan Ruck himself. He's actually a Detroit Red Wings fan, isn't he? He says, the, uh, I did not grow up in Chicago. I never gave it a thought. John... Hughes had spent some of his boyhood in Detroit. 
Hughes decided that Cameron had a horrible relationship with his father, but a great relationship with his grandfather who lived in Detroit and would take Cameron to Red Wings games. That's all it was, and it was never explained in the movie. I'll buy it. I'll allow it. I feel like and some people also thought some people also thought he's doing it despite his dad due to the bad relationship. That was that was actually once you said something about his dad, that was the first thing that popped in my head. His dad was probably like a big Blackhawks fan, so he was like, "F you, I'm gonna root for the Red Wings." But I know, like, yeah. especially Chicago sports fans, like they hate the Packers, they hate the St. Louis Cardinals, they hate the Detroit Red mm-hmm. Wings, and the Detroit Pistons. Like, yep. So when I saw that, I was immediately like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What is going? What is going on here?" Like. But yeah, I, I, I think it was Hughes wanted to get a Detroit jersey in there because he grew up in Detroit yeah. a bit, you know. But uh, and then he kind of was like, "Who could be one that would wear that?" Oh, Cameron can because yeah. of this, this, this. And then so once you that, once you look at it, like you said, with his dad and his grandfather probably taking him to Detroit games or whatever. Like, yeah, I'll buy yeah. it. Um, I feel like chain with my big sombrero on. I'll allow it. <laughs> um. So he. Cameron comes over. They're taught. Uh, they're at Ferris's house, um, and they're making some calls to the school. And I like this scene's pretty great because we're kind of introduced to Rooney, right? Who learns that Ferris is out for his ninth time this semester. Yeah, and he has a, a hate boner for this kid, right? I mean, I okay. think most staff would. Take a time out here real quick because mm-hmm. I don't know if you know or not, that was a horrible choice of words on your part. <laughs> Probably it's not a intentional. Real word. Yes. A, it's a real phrase. It's do real you phrase. Know, do you know what has happened since with the actor who plays? Uh, no. No, I didn't look it up. He was arrested. He pleaded no contest to trying to get an underage child to pose for pornographic pictures. And he's been arrested. Really? The guy se- that. Oh. He's been arrested several other times for failing to update his. Damn. Where he lives on the sex offender registry. Um, so. No, did not know any of that. I, I figured. Like, I, I didn't think you were, like, making any jokes. Like, I'm not trying to impugn your character. No, no. Yeah. But that's why I was like, oh, that's a horrible choice of words, especially if anybody might know. Like, so he's kind. Of, and he mean, still gets work. He is still. He was in Deadwood after all of that stuff. Still, he's not getting as much work as he used to. Yes, but he still does get yeah, some. Not anymore. Um, and he 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 was a decent character actor. He always played that weird, creepy guy. Um, well, well, I guess and so. then <laughs> I guess he played really. He played a really good job, a really good role in Amadeus in the eighties. Um. Like, I think he was nominated for awards for that. But then, so, as we stated, this is my first time watching this movie, right? And mm-hmm. I I remember when he got arrested and seeing his mugshot and, and everything has come out. Really? Since. So, watching this with that for the first time, with that knowledge in my mind, right? I yeah. was like, this movie just hits like, I don't know what this movie would have hit like if I hadn't had that knowledge about him. But this movie hits a little bit different now that I know this about the guy who's playing him. And yeah. I'm like, this is this is a little weird. Like 
yeah, that's true. No, I did not know any of that. So uh, Ooh, yeah. there, like you, said, there not, you go. Not your fault. By no means is that that is not your fault. <laughs> but that's why I was like, oh, man, that's. But yeah, he so kinda, he hates Ferris. That's how I'll phrase it. He, going he, he does have a, a hate thing for Ferris, without a doubt. I love the secretary, though. Yes, yeah, she was really great. Um, he calls Ferris's mom and says, "Do you know how many times your your kid has been out?" And th- this uh, is something I this is something that I quote sometimes. I guess is the I, I knew this part pretty well. The nine times and then her responding nine times and like confirming well, the he's nine picking times. Up pieces of like lint off his desk and getting everything yeah she's like being real particular with his desk and when cameron calls as mr uh is it mr peterson or peterman it is peterson as mr peterson sloan's uh dad he thinks it's fair this is ferris i thought it was ferris <laughs> Uh, before that, before we, before we jump on that, um, mm-hmm. did you ever skip school or anything as a kid? Yeah, didn't we already talk about that? No, no, we took. Well, no, no, I, not not play sick. Oh, like, like actually, from school? Yeah, just like, like cut class or skip school or whatever. No, did no once. I, also, in a really rural area, by the way, so and had no car, so go, there was nowhere okay. to go. Did you guys have like an automated? Have anyway. Did you guys have like a, a system that would call the house if you missed school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we we did too. I think just about every kid who grew up in eighties and nineties had that, and especially like I, re- I I never skipped school, but I always found it funny to see like kids who would try and get home, or especially would see like kids trying to get home in movies and TV to like erase the message before their parents got. Yeah. There. Yeah. Or the parents would get there, but uh, yeah, I, I, honestly, I wasn't sure if the automated message was just like a regional thing, or if that was something a lot of other people experienced. No, yeah, I experienced that, and that was back when we all had home phones. Uh, nobody yeah. really has a home phone anymore. There was no voicemail; it was using an answering machine that you had. Yes, and it would play the message aloud while you're sitting there. Yeah. Um, that, that's how my grandfather still operates. By the way, he has no cell phone. He has a house phone with a voice voice message you know machine and that's the only way he answers the phone like if i i'll i'll answer the phone like i'll call him i'll get to the voicemail and i'll Grandpa, say hey Papa, it's, it's jordan and then he'll answer the phone yes. <laughs> um that was that was the early stages of caller id yes he does not have caller id at all um that, no that's what it was Who, who's on the phone yeah that was the only way to do it yeah um so, yes, Cameron is calling as Mr. Peterson, and he says that Sloane's grandmother has died. And we have, uh, you know, a scene where Sloane gets pulled out of class for it, and she puts on a good performance about her grandmother passing. The nurse feels sorry for her. And Why are they sending the nurse with this information? How is this I don't not know. Like, how is this not like a, a vice principal or some other some person in the administrative staff? Like, why is the nurse going to let you know your grandmother is? Yeah, I guess we don't really know how the school is set up, but we have just just Mr. Rooney you and see, yeah, his the dean secretary, of right? Like and the secretary, yeah, yeah. But there's got to be at least one other assistant or vice principal or something. You would think it's a high school. There has to be um, like yeah, yeah, one other administrative person somewhere. I don't know. 
so of course I know this movie, so I know it was uh I know it was Cameron, but also I I, I can now hear it in his voice when he's playing Mr. Peterson. And I'm like, oh, that's Alan Ruck's voice. But so we get to this point here where Ferris does the ultimate uh the ultimate deception, I guess, here. Cause then Ferris calls on a separate line. Cause yeah, because we don't know. We we like me watching this. Yeah. I think you have it's no Ferris. clue who it is. I think it's Ferris Bueller on the line, right? Just like everyone else probably watching it for the first time. We don't know it's actually Cameron. And then Ferris calls and you're like, wait a minute. And then like it cuts (laughs) you. You see that it's actually like, you know, Cameron is the one on the phone, but masterfully done by John Hughes. Like great, great way to to put that out there. But I was like, because even when he's like, oh, this is Ferris. I'm like, yeah, that's probably Ferris. And then he just starts... Horrible, horrible way to talk to someone's grandmother just passed away. I, <laughs> yeah, once you uh, produce the body, <laughs> I'll let her, uh, I'll let her go. And you know, Cameron holds it together pretty well. Where he's like, "You want to see a body? Uh, I don't quite understand." You know, like he's playing dumb. I also just love Matthew Broderick in this here with Ferris, where like when he's calling and he's just like, I don't know, like straightening up his hair. He's like yeah. making sure he looks real good. Just a very like stuck up vein uh guy. The suit threw me off though. Like I did not know. On the suit? I didn't know Ferris Bueller wore a suit in this movie because every clip I've ever oh, seen and yeah. everything I've like ever seen, he's had like vest. the leather jacket and the, the sweater vest or whatever, and the vest like when he's dancing in the parade. Like he's had pretty much the same outfit on throughout the entire movie. And just him rocking the suit, I was like, one that just feels out of place. Mm-hmm. Just from everything I've seen and what I know of the character, right? Two, why is he? No, no, no teenager's gonna put on a suit unless you're part of like the Young Republicans Club or something. Like, no. Well, it was all part of the plan. He, that's how he shows up as Mr. Peterson. <laughs> he had he the trench coat. He could have wore anything under it. He had the trench coat on. And the yeah, true. But I guess he had he wanted to sell it here. Um, so, you know, he calls just any really just to kind of rub it in, too. It's like, hey, Mr. Rooney, can you uh, I'm sick. Can you have my sister like bring home any of the assignments I need? Like, I really want to be able to. Which is not going to do anything. Yeah, anyway. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we get that. um great phone scene there and then he convinces Cameron to let him use his father's Ferrari uh, because Mr. Peterson would not be uh, seen in Cameron's car. Cameron's car is a piece of shit he says and he says and that's okay because I don't even have a piece of shit Uh, so he's like I can kind of insult your car because I don't even have one I want a piece of shit but I don't even have that but we're going to need to use your dad's Ferrari here I kind of I kind of get what he's saying as far as like I can't I don't have one and yours is better than mine for having a piece of crap car. I get yeah. that. But also at the same time since you don't have a car you can't really <laughs> like you can't really talk bad about someone else's piece of crap car, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you can because he's your boy and you're like that's probably the only person you can do that to, but you really can't because Whenever you guys go anywhere, do anything, he's the one picking you up so you guys can go someplace to do it. Yes, yeah. 
And he he could he could have used the other car. They don't Mr. Rooney probably wouldn't have paid much attention to that. Unless it's, he knew Cameron's car. Yes, unless he knows Cameron's car. But in my mind, this is Ferris manipulation here of I want a joyride and this is the way I'm getting that joyride. There's like I'm gonna 13, use logic. Yeah. There's like thirteen but, of these yeah. Ferraris made in the world and I want to drive in this one. Um, yes. Also, it wouldn't surprise me for whatever reason, especially ones we've already discussed, if Rooney would have known Cameron's car. <laughs> um. Yes. Yeah, so then we get to uh, a nice scene of them picking up Sloane and uh, the the kiss for daddy senior where I think that was Ferris a too much. I think that was especially you're trying to like you're trying <laughs> they, to pass they his, kiss a little long yes especially trying they to pass it off in front of the, the dean of students they're like come on yeah it might be a little and too Rooney much. is like so that's how it is in their family <laughs> oh boy um so I was also thinking like kids would not get away with this at all today. Like we were talking about, you know, being out sick and stuff. Like I feel like with a lot of parents that can work from home, if a kid is sick and also ring cameras, maybe cameras in the house that people have, like it would be a lot tougher to this movie could not get made today in, in that regard. Not, not only that, but something that's come up during the pandemic. And I don't know if it was still going on. A lot of places were getting rid of, or there was talk about a lot of places getting rid of like snow days. So like I know you, you probably yeah. had snow days as a kid, right? Where yeah, you know yeah. you had too much snow, you stayed home from school. But especially where everyone kind of went remote anyway during the pandemic, there were school districts out there that were talking about like, oh, if a kid's out sick, like we can we can we can still have a hybrid classroom where we can have kids in school, and if a kid's out sick and he's still at home. Then he can just turn his computer on. He can still participate in class and he can still get his assignments and everything. Because that's if, the first thing you want to do when you're feeling sick is log on and yeah. and, and listen, listen to, your, to a boring listen to lecture. Ben Stein tell you about the tariffs <laughs> and everything, right? And then yeah. if, what if about Ben Stein's teaching style, man? I mean, it's it's uh, what and what was this? Anyone? Anyone? And then this uh, was the. <laughs> and and then you got uh like if there's snow days, then okay, no one has to go into school, but we can still have school because everyone can still go to school remote. So that's another thing where it's like a lot of stuff wouldn't be able to happen. Plus nowadays with automated messages and schools having like portals set up. So like nowadays yeah. a lot of a lot of schools have portals set up where parents can check in and they can check on their students' grades. Uh, they can add money to like their lunch accounts. Like that, well, that's how they add money to their lunch accounts and pay stuff. That's how they communicate with the teachers and the administration as far as like if their kid need it, needs extra help, if they're not doing well, if they're doing great, if they're if they need to have a meeting with them, uh, stuff like that. So now, especially like you would have Ferris is sick, you would have. Ferris's mom or dad would go right to his phone and his little app or to his computer, send him the school a quick message. Ferris isn't going to be there today. He's out sick, right? Bam. And then there might be that, that phone call probably wouldn't be a phone call. It probably would have been a communication 
through some sort of chat system on that uh portal between the dean and one of Ferris's parents of like he's been he's been gone nine times. What do you mean he's been gone nine times? He's been absent nine times. And then he can show her the dates. Hey, he was these are the dates and all this other stuff. And we also have the find my iPhone thing, right? So a lot of people track their kids through that too. So she, you know, they would be able to maybe track Ferris. All the that times way. that Ferris was missed by like half a second. Yeah. Yes. By his parents. <laughs> or by who's the Dean there. Uh, I forget his name. By Rooney. By Rooney. His, yeah. Mom, yes. Dad, stuff like that. Yeah, because he has a few run-ins with his dad specifically because his dad works in Chicago. Um, Yeah, so they, you know, Cameron's like, hey, time to return the car. And Ferris is like, no, we're going to Chicago. And this is how you know it was part of the plan here. Not only that, word got around school so quick. and <laughs> That he's out and went dying. so wild about him being out. And it's like, that was just ridiculous. Like, that's either, he's either the most popular kid in the entire school, which is a possibility, or that school is is crazy small for all of a sudden everybody in the school to know that all of a sudden he's out sick and then it just blow up into like, he's going to lose his kidney. We're raising money to buy him a kidney. (laughs) Who the hell are you buying a kidney from? Yeah, 50K is how much they say a kidney is. And he's going around with like a Pepsi. He's going around with a Pepsi can. (laughs) Yeah, collect and change with a Pepsi cup to to get $50,000 for a kidney. Where's this money going? Where, who's getting, who's paying, who are you paying $50,000 for a kidney from? I love this too, because like they approach, you know, Jennifer Gray's character of the sister as if, they don't know who she is that's because the, that's he the is the thing. popular one. Like they she's don't, not popular. But still, there would be some something by proxy where they would know, like, that's Ferris Bueller's sister. I don't know. I had a fairly popular sister in high school. And, uh, I mean, like, I have a very uncommon last name, you know. So people would sometimes link us that way. But a lot of times, like, nobody would... No, I was kind of more under the the radar in that regard. So I could see I related to this a bit with uh, them having like no clue who she is. Maybe, Um, but I think especially with it being, uh, I don't know. I I think maybe because like it's flipped, like maybe you're her younger brother or something. But remember, we're going back to the 80s and a time of great misogyny where mm -hmm. there would have been the aspect of don't touch her. That's Ferris's sister. And just the opposite, there would have been guys who have wanted to get with her simply because she was Ferris's sister. So, yeah. I, I I think I like I I I get your experience, and I'm not saying it's not valid, but I think it might have been a little different had the roles been reversed, and you were the popular one. And I, yeah, I think maybe. she's I think she still would have been known being your sister as compared to you being her brother, you know, the other way around. But I could be wrong on that. But I think in the misogynistic times of the eighties, I think it's it's a little different. Uh, so they so they go to Chicago, and I 
wanted to know. I looked up. I said, "Is it possible to do everything that they've done?" Oh, it's been yeah, in it's a day. Been done. Yeah, it has. Yeah, this is it's very possible. Um, looking at how much time they spent there, people did like walking from each place to each place. Um, not you know, only that, they start out. Not only that, but they arrive was... in Chicago by ten thirty. That's when they park. Is about ten thirty a.m. Someone, someone did it with a more updated version because Wrigley Field isn't in downtown. So to go like downtown to Wrigley Field to back to downtown, like doesn't make a ton of sense. So I think when they redid it, they did the Cubs game first and then went to downtown. And they also planned it where that parade is a real parade. Yes. Yep. On weekend. It's usually on a weekend. So this is a little... And they, since they were dressed as characters from Ferris Bueller, they were recognized and they were allowed on a float in the parade. Oh, that's awesome! And they 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 played Twist and Shout during the parade for. But that's pretty cool. It went so far. It they 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 found out what date it could have been. Yes. Yeah. Because they have. Uh, well, they were able to figure out what days they were looking at the. Um, so there's a few things here. This is supposed to be spring. They're talking about it's the last semester before graduation. They're graduating like next month. And you have this game that Ferris attends is something uh, is June 5th, 1985. Yeah. Right. So it's a little yep. off there. It is also a little off because then the game that they actually filmed at when they were actually filming there was in September, (laughs) but these games did take place around one twenty-five, and that they, you know, three hour game or so you're looking at staying at Wrigley until around four something. Then they go to the art Institute, which is a 13 minute drive. Uh, I'm not sure how long of a walk. Um, You know, we see them take cabs and stuff. Uh, We see them. The longest walk they would have to do is from the restaurant to the board of trade, which is a 52 minute walk. And it actually puts them with the time that they did right around the exact time they would have been there anyway. So like, it seems like it was pretty planned out. Now, of course, John Hughes is from the area, so he probably knows he has an idea how this stuff would go. Yeah. So if you're wondering, Hey, it seems like they did a lot. It's, it's all possible. It's it's feasible. It's been done. People have recreated it. Uh, Not only that, but, I guess it, it the June fifth date is possible, considering, and I think I might have told you this about how my uh, we just talked about having snow days, right? Where you know when it snows in a certain area, it, you know if it's too much snow, you get canceled. So in Massachusetts, we got five days a year. We get five snow days. If we went past five snow days, you'd have to make that time up, right? I think I might have told the story yeah. before. So my senior year of high school, uh, fairly decent sized city. I think we had like 10, 12 high schools or something like that. And the city had like one massive auditorium. So every year the auditorium is booked out for a couple of weeks, like two or three weeks straight. Like Monday, this high school is graduating. Tuesday, this high school is graduating. Wednesdays, this day's graduating. Right? And then any other events would either would bookend it either before or after. So, mm-hmm. my senior year of high school in 96, uh, 95 and 96, 
we got blasted with like two or three blizzards back to back to back. We lost wow. a ton of days for snow days. So to make them all up. But we ran into a problem. At least some of them did. So for us as seniors, once again, high school graduation dates are already booked. And then everything else is booked that happens. Trade shows, comic cons, whatever they're doing happens around those. So those other, like, you can't move, you can't take the graduate. It's not like uh, the Buffalo Bills game, like yesterday, as we're recording this, got moved from Saturday night to Monday, Yeah. right? But it's not like... Sunday to Monday, yeah. Yeah, but it's not like we could have done that with our graduation. We could, They could have done it with, okay, we're going to move it from this Monday to, like, the following Wednesday, because it was probably stuff already booked in the auditorium. So it went back and forth for several weeks before they said, okay, Here's what's going to happen. The seniors, you guys are going to get over. Uh, you guys will still leave school at the same time. Your graduation date won't change. You got over on us. Congratulations. Go be adults. Go out in the world and do great things. Juniors and underclassmen, you guys still have to make up those snow days. So they had to stay, I think, in Massachusetts at the time. They, they could stay up until like the 4th of July weekend. So they stayed wow. up until like the end of June to make up those days. So they stayed like that, like two or three weeks extra. So Chicago, very cold, gets a lot of snow. I'm sure they might have snow days, something in there, right? I don't know what the weather was like in 1984 and 85, but if they get hit with a couple of bad snowstorms, right, it's possible it could have pushed school to go until June before they would graduate. It's possible but what i would say Not with probable. that is i think they mentioned graduating like next month and graduating in june and uh or something like that so yeah. i do think it's still supposed to be like may or april and the van steuben day is usually the parade is usually in september so it's kind of a hodgepodge of a day yeah um yeah so um yeah, so they visit, so they leave the car with two parking attendants who promptly take it onto a joy ride, just as Cameron was worried. We're going to talk about would. those guys later. Yes. And meanwhile, then they go and explore the city. They go to the Art Institute of Chicago. They use Deception to lunch at the restaurant, which is uh, called like Chef, uh, Chef Louise or something, uh, Chef Queese or something. And, uh, this is where Ferris's dad is also having lunch uh, during this time here, and they just get out of it before being noticed. But this is also where they play a little bit of a phone game here to get seated by the by the restaurant. As Sloan calls and asks for the guy that Ferris is posing as, and Abe Froman describes him as Ferris. Chicago. Yes, who looks like he's eighteen years old. <laughs> Uh, the guy wasn't really buying it until the phone calls. I, 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 uh, so they also go to the Cubs game and the the parade. Go ahead. I I don't know. I, I I have found a lot of times, at least in my customer service interaction days, I'm willing to call people's bluff on stuff like that because a lot of times it's just not real. So I might have I might have been willing to to let him call the cops or act like he's going to call the cops. Mm -hmm. And I might have been willing yeah, to. Yeah, then Cameron calls acting like the cops, doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> I, 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 like, I don't know. I, I'm just me. I like, I'm more willing. 
because a lot of times I know people just try and do stuff like that just to just especially nowadays, you know, for TikTok. Are, yeah, but I'd be like, okay, that that's fine. Go ahead. I'd encourage you to. Like I, I tell people that now, even as a you know, yeah, go ahead. That that's okay. I, I'd really encourage you to. But uh, yeah. Just, it, it, I, I want more information on Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. Yes, yeah, that'd be great. That's the, there's your spinoff. Um, go, they go to the Chicago Cubs game where Ferris catches a ball and is on TV right when Mister Rooney is not looking. He almost gets caught there. Yeah, because he got some. Um, he went to an arcade and, and got some soda spit in his face because he thought a young lady was Ferris. <laughs> yes. Yes, a lady with short hair that had the fairest haircut. Uh, he goes up there thinking, I got you now. Uh, he's also He also gets stuck at their home for a bit. So this is Rooney's journey, right? He goes to the home and he thinks Ferris is, is faking it. And Ferris has the whole thing set up with the message playing when you, the little buzzer they have, right? Where he's like, oh, I can't come to the, the intercom door right system, now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, look, it, it's obviously a, a, a recording because then it, the same exact <laughs> the same exact thing afterwards when uh, Rooney tries it again. But Rooney's going to break into the house here. I understand he hates Ferris. I understand he wants to prove this wrong. But I feel like if I'm a principal, this is a... He's going way not my Yes, it, this is a not my job type of thing right like yes i can call the parents i can tell them how many times he missed but i'm not going out of my way here you're commit you're about to commit a felony here like what, what's going yes on? yeah breaks into their house the runs into their rottweiler runs into uh runs into okay, jennifer so, gray's character so let's talk about um, this dog here yes genie Love- Love dogs. No, no issue with them having a, a dog, a Rottweiler that's going to be protective of their house, and and go off on this guy. I guess my only thing is maybe might have made it a little better is if we knew the dog existed before this point. Yes, um, I, I would agree with I that. Guess that that's yeah, my only gripe about it. Really, is just the dog just kind of came from out of nowhere, and I guess it's not unexpected in the '80s for a family like that. To have like a Rottweiler or Doberman Pinscher or something. But mm-hmm. like I said, I just, if we would have known, if they would have just shown the dog early. So we knew there was a dog in the house. Right. Like that. Yeah. I think that could have made it just a smidge better, you know, but just that, a little bit of setup. Yeah. Like you see the dog. Maybe when Ferris is just laying around at the beginning of the thing. He feeds, you know, like he, he's at his pool. He, he feeds the dog before stuff. he goes yeah. off to take, to take off for yes. a day with Cameron or something. Right. Yeah. There I'll, you be, go. yeah. I'll be back, buddy. I'll see you later. Like you take care of the house or whatever, you know, stuff that normal people probably do when they feed their dog before they leave for the day. Right. Just, just let me know that, th- that this dog existed in the world. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And I know that's a minor gripe. Like it's silly, but. It makes sense though, no, because I do. I always was taken aback that it was their dog. Like when I would watch this, because you're like, he's never shown until this scene, and then he's shown again at the very end, yeah. only when Rooney. Yeah, like they don't focus on it when Ferris is arriving. You know, they only focus on it when Rooney's right there. Well, the dog also um, didn't wake up until 
But the until dog, Rooney was there. Yeah, the dog passed out and just so happened to wake up after, you know, Jennifer Grey closed the door again. So. Mm-hmm. So we have, uh, so then Jeannie is in there and she calls the cops on him and she's going to, they think the cop, the cops think it's like a fake, uh, a fake thing. And she gets in trouble and brought in for this, which is a, a little over the top for if you're the cops, uh, nothing especially, else going on. Especially considering we see that he left his wallet in the house. They didn't even investigate this. No, and, they, and Jeannie, they, <laughs> either, either when she came in at the very end is when she finds the wallet, which is possible. Like, I that's, think that's, that's when, plausible. Yeah. Like I'm not, I can't, but yeah, there was, there was nothing. So yeah, this wallet was sitting there and, and you know, quick cursory search around the premises might've been able to find the wallet and prove that, Hey, who is this dude? And then, you know, I'm sure they, they look up, Oh, he's the principal at the school. Why is this principal inside this, 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 these students house like this makes no sense these young kids house yeah rooney would have gotten arrested just like real life okay so that's what's going on at the house while uh while uh, ferris is out we also see his mom comes home at one point too to double check that ferris is sick and the mannequin fools her uh which has this elaborated but it almost doesn't fool her yeah it almost doesn't because she, but she closes the door this, and then has to go back in to double check again. Yeah, it works, though. Like, he has a setup of all these strings and pulleys that makes the snoring start on the machine while, you know, his character, while his mannequin is, is laying there. Um, this is something that's referenced in a, in a few things. This is referenced in an episode of The Office. Michael makes one of these to get away from not doing work. He thinks that that'll, <laughs> that this will work. Um so this is one of those things that uh, the movie is kind of known for. Real, real quick. But then Ferris said, yeah, go ahead. Uh, anybody who has parents or anybody who has kids out there, if your teenager is snoring like this, you need to take them to the doctor immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They might need a CPAP I, machine. I, I might don't really machines. snore. I have a CPAP machine. saved my life. And it gave me a much better night's worth of sleep. Um, oh, wow. So, but yeah, it, if he's snoring like uh, like this, this audio system is showing Bueller snoring, and he's seventeen. Like yeah, yeah. He, he needs to go. He needs to go get a sleep study done. You need to take him to a doctor and, and figure out what's going on because his health is at risk. Uh, so then you know we have Ferris in the parade, and while they're going to the parade is when they end up in a cab right next to his dad again, um, and then they quickly quickly duck down and it's Sloan wearing the, the sunglasses of Fueler to of Ferris Bueller to uh Here's my question about that. So it, it's established that Sloan and Ferris are, are dating, the boyfriend and girlfriend, right? Yep. His dad doesn't know what his son's girlfriend looks like? I think it's a very real possibility. Um now depending so on my my dating, brother in law I guess but... My brother-in-law is a very notorious closed book type of guy where I don't really know if his parents, my in-laws have met any of his, his girlfriends, uh, even long-term ones. Like they just like, he doesn't really, he's very private in the sense of, he doesn't really say like, Hey, I'm going out with Susie. Can't wait till you guys meet her or anything. So, uh, 
his parents don't even know if there is Susie. Sometimes they'll hear it from a cousin or from a from a friend, you know, type of thing. So I, I do think it is possible that Ferris and Sloan are maybe recently started dating and not like a long term thing yet that the that his dad hasn't met. I'll give you that. It may be a recent thing, although she's talking about marriage already, right? So it's a little weird. But they're in high school. I feel like it's very high school, though. Yeah, I feel, that's high I feel like that's very high school. But also, as outgoing as Ferris is with everything in his life, like... Yeah, yeah. So, also, so, another thing young people might not know, uh, we see we see several references to, to, to get, you know, get well or get better Ferris. It's on a water... They, they painted it in a morning on Save a water tower. Ferris. Right, um, it was on the the outside Wrigley Field, uh, on the yeah, uh, yeah. on the scoreboard the there. Scoreboard, th- like the yeah. Uh, some people might be wondering how did it get in the paper? That doesn't make any sense. Now, was it a midday midday issue? Oh, that's what I was going to bring up. See, a lot of people may not know. Uh, in the heyday of newspapers, sometimes there were two separate printings. You had like an overnight printing. For your morning newspaper, right, where that was all everything that happened overnight, whatever, up until their their cutoff time, and then the presses were still running, and then there might be like a twelve. There was a midday issue, like twelve or one o'clock, that would have different stories and updated stories. Yeah, and, and different one news. that you would read in the morning with breakfast, and then a lot of times there was an evening post type thing that you would read uh, over dinner. So yeah, the fact that. I just I'm just bringing this up because a lot of people might be wondering like that makes no sense how is how did it make the paper before that he was sick before the paper even came out that might have been a midday issue that or that probably was a midday issue because this is mid to late afternoon Um, yep was dad's in the cab and yeah yeah so all of a sudden you know uh, what what did it say it's good school teenager sick or something I don't it was like students. I think it was like students raising money for sick student or like yeah, something, uh, like, something that. like that. Local community worries about sick student. Yeah, something like that. Um. So they go, they go to the parade, and Cameron is thinking that Ferris abandoned them. He's like, "This is what he does. He abandoned us." Blah blah blah. And Sloane's like, "He's probably just around here somewhere." And then he's up on the float, singing. Uh, Donka Shane and then singing uh, Twist and Shout. Which So uh, this is something you've probably seen before, right? Or some sort of clip or something. It is. I did not know until this movie when I watched the credits because I knew about the the end credit scene. This was like the first movie that I can ever really recall having an end credit scene, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And as the end credit scene and the scene was, there was another scene playing as the credits were coming up. Um, when it got to the songs, I didn't know the Beatles sang Twist and Shout until right yes, now. Yes, it is, um, it is a cover. It is not like an original for them, but yes, this was, uh, I know I used to always upset my grandfather cause he'd ask me my favorite Beatles song and I'd say Twist and Shout. And he said, that's not actually a Beatles song. I'm like, they sang it and it's in Ferris Bueller. <laughs> and that was why it was probably my favorite at the time. But, um, yeah, that's uh, that's John Lennon singing and Ferris lip lip syncing uh, to it. 
But I, I just I didn't know that was a Beatles rendition. I I, I didn't know who played it because I was actually curious when I was on like, what those things twist and shout? Because I I'd never known that before. And then I, when I saw the Beatles, I was two things hit me. I was shocked, like wow. My next thought was, mm-hmm. how much do they have to pay for that song? Right to get it in the movie. Um. Yeah, let me see who the original singer of Twist and Shout was. Uh, top Notes, the Top Notes in 1961. I think I also found out it, it was well. a German band who sang the Oh Yeah song. Because I had to look that up. I was like, who yes. sings this damn song? Yeah, this is probably the biggest legacy of this movie <laughs> is is this. Just this opening here with the <laughs> that is the legacy of Ferris Bueller, I think too. Uh, it is something that people know the song. That's probably the only reason this song is well known. Honestly, I, I remember like. from like um, a, a Milky Way commercial or something too. And I feel like that's probably why, though. Like I feel like they used it because of, oh, of yeah. Ferris Bueller. It, it, it gained um, popularity because of Ferris Bueller, without a doubt. Yeah, it was also used in The Secret of My Success in 1987, starring Michael J. Fox. And it was also part of She's Out of Control, a 1989 comedy, and Opportunity Knocks with uh, Dana Carvey in the nineteen in 1990. Um, yeah, so since then, of course, it's been in a whole bunch of stuff. It was used in a Domino's commercial in 2017 that uh, references Ferris Bueller. It was used in Captain Underpants and Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man Homecoming, of course, has a huge homage to this movie uh, with the running in the backyard scene uh, that that Spider-Man does. Did he use the same when he's leaving music the or no? I believe they used the same music. They definitely even used footage from Ferris Bueller. They're watch somebody. One of the people that he's passing by is watching Ferris Bueller. Uh, like same scene while he's going across. Because I know, uh, I know, Family Guy did a parody of it too, with like, yeah, somebody yes. running through yards. Yes, it was movie. Stewie. Um, I forget what episode that was, but he, d- he definitely has the same exact thing. Even stopping with um, the two, the two women, or the two girls there. Yes. But yeah, so that uh, that. That uh, OES scene is something that is very well known. It's it's played at I believe in the beginning and also at over the end credits, um, or it's played sometime in the in the movie and then over the end credits as well. Um, but yeah, so this song took off after it ap- appeared in the in the film. This was a song in 1985, and then just you know became a, a little bit bigger. Music video didn't premiere until 1987, I think. But yeah, so that's that. So we had, uh, man, I accidentally clicked off of my movie page. Okay, here we are. So uh, after the parade, where he's almost caught again by his dad, because his dad's listening to the parade while he's working and, in a building yeah, above dancing it. To it. <laughs> dancing. And then they go back and get the car. And Ferris notices before cameron uh as they're driving he looks okay. at the odometer 
if you're Ferris, like, uh, what? <laughs> if you're Ferris, are you saying anything here, or are you trying to slip it no, back without note? Without... No, you're not. I'm not saying anything. At least until we arrive, because you can't do anything while you're driving. Yeah, you're gonna take like, like even earlier where he's like, "Oh, we'll just put it in reverse and roll it back," and I'm like, "That's never gonna work." It's not how car odometers work at all. I know that's what I, I that's how I thought they worked though from this movie I was like oh yeah I'm sure that'll work but then it doesn't work and then and then he's like oh we'll just take the pop, glass open <laughs> we'll just pop it out of the dash I'm like you're gonna take a Ferrari out you're gonna take a Ferrari apart and like yeah well, like they there's finely tuned machines that do this like uh there's a comedian Roy Wood Jr. talked about he had a podcast for a while and he talked about when he was in college yeah, he did some 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 things, and he was his plan was to he was gonna order uh different parts of a Mercedes and get them shipped to his college, and then he was gonna put the car together after he ordered all the parts separately. <laughs> and like he got laughed at, like by the the people on his podcast because they brought the same thing. Like, there's finely tuned machines that put these cars together and like exact ways and specifications and you're just going to start ordering like you're just going to order the front bumper and start ordering parts from there like right. piece by piece and put a car together that's funny yeah that's not something i i would attempt i'm not very handy when it comes to cars <clears throat> so they go back to cameron's and uh he's in a catatonic state here how rich is cameron's is. family I know. You got to think they're up there, right? Because they live in a nice suburb. I mean, even Ferris's house is, is nice. But Cameron has a nice house overlooking like this this view. And then they have like the Ferrari. They have another sports car in there. And then they also have, the you would assume, Cameron's car. And then whatever his dad is, whatever car his dad actually drove to work, too. Yeah. And then they have a jacuzzi and, and a pool. pool. That's a custom-built house. That's not just like a regular cookie-cutter suburban yeah. home. That's like he went specifically to an architect and either had him design him a house or like said, these are the things I want and worked with a guy specifically to have those a garage like that. And those windows and up on the stilts overlooking things like that is that is not cheap. Yeah. Uh, still cheap enough to go to public school, though. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Um, so then they, uh, they're, they're swimming and Ferris is, you know, uh, worried about Cameron a bit, but, but Cameron just jumps in and you think he's trying to darkly here commit suicide. Um, Ferris goes in and and goes after him, saves him, pulls him out and Cameron's not responsive until he laughs and (laughs) says the Ferris Bueller, you're my hero. Um, you know what this reminded me of? She what? from the good place. This broke me. I'm done. <laughs> that was that. Yeah. That was Cameron's. This broke me. I'm done. The doc. Yeah, because kind of the undercurrent doc. throughout this whole movie, throughout this comedy movie, is the bad relationship between Cameron and his dad. He's so scared to take the Ferrari out because of how his dad's going to react, right? He says, the dad loves that car more the more than me type of thing. And uh, so they're in the pool while they're trying to roll back the mileage. And when it doesn't work, Cameron uh, 
kicks it right cameron uh goes on it it's this this is the symbolism of the bad relationship with his dad here is this car this is the thing that's gotten in the way of that and he kicks it a little too much it goes uh speeding backwards out of the outside of the house the garage and ferris is like this is probably the moment we really see Ferris as like actually being a good friend here is when he says, Hey, blame it on me. I'll take the fall. Like it doesn't, you know, like this is my fault, but Cameron knows that he can't continue living like this. He says, I have to have a talk with my old man. And this is, you know, we're going to have a conversation. I don't think there's going to be, we don't know how that went. I was going to say, I don't think there's a lot of conversation. (laughs) there, Um, Especially considering this is the eighties. And child abuse was not looked at the same way as it is today. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that that could have been a very one-way conversation, unfortunately. Also very 80s is Sloan saying that she was like purposely, what, undressing, putting her bathing suit in front of him because he was catatonic, right? And she said, you saw me when I was changing then, didn't you? And he gets like a little smile. This is very 80s. This would probably not fly today. This this. Can we talk about Sloan, an actress who played Sloan for a second? She, yeah. She was in a couple of things because I had to look her up. She was in Time Cop, but I haven't seen her in much else. I was just like, man. Yeah, that's... surprisingly. Uh, I felt like she was very, I thought she was very good in this. Um, I thought she was She was good. super young. I, I thought she was She was, was 18. Yeah, she was only teenager like in there. The actual teenager, yeah. Um, she 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 had a great look. She's very beautiful, and I was just like, why why haven't we seen more of her? And then there really just was no reason. She's done some stuff, but it wasn't like that upsets me. I don't know why. Again, it's kind of a theme we've talked about with this. It's kind of, it, at some point Hollywood just kind of spits out these these women when they get older. They say. We're not giving you any more roles uh, until you're like a grandma, and then we'll give you the grandma roles, and or, that's pretty much what you become. Or if you're like Jennifer Grey and get a nose job, and then all of a sudden you get cast in nothing after that. Yeah, I feel sorry for Jennifer Grey because I feel like her, um, uh, her, I-, I thought she looked fine with the previous nose, uh, yeah. so I feel feel sorry that she felt like she had to do. It. I mean, I guess whatever makes you happy. I don't know. I didn't realize she was married to Clark Gregg until 2021. Well, I've read that uh, it, it, wasn't, Coulson. it wasn't totally her choice. Uh, like her parents and everything wanted her to do it because they felt she wouldn't be they, they, their words. They felt it was too Jewish looking. And they felt it, uh, they felt her original nose was going to stop her from being cast in a lot of stuff. Um, and she's she is in her memoir and stuff, she's come out and said she she has since regretted doing it, obviously, because she said like almost overnight, like everything dried up, like she walked, like everything just stopped. She said she wasn't even recognized at like a premiere she was from the movie she was in after she got the movie. Yeah, she looks very unrecognizable. I mean, I can't like when I look at the picture of her now, I can't see her. You know what I'm saying? It, it is, uh, it is crazy. Um. Because she was very like, what else? She was in Dirty Dancing right after this. Yes. And when was what, the nose job? Do we know? I think it was after Dirty Dancing because that's when everything kind of dried up. Yeah. 
That's a shame. It, it is. It is. I thought she was very beautiful. I thought she was fine, but yeah. I wasn't an 80s casting director in Hollywood, so what do I know? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Mia Sara is who played uh, Sloan, and she was really great in this. And she, um, look, one of my childhood crushes. Right? I can um, see. I can understand why. <laughs> I, I can definitely see why. And I always really liked actually the chemistry Cameron and her have uh, as well in a like um, in a way that is very like good, like they're good friends. Like, I feel like she actually cares about Cameron. Uh, There was times where you don't get that with Ferris and, you know, Ferris at some point is part of this day that he's taking off here is I think he's maybe I'm reading a little too deep into it. He's kind of thinking about what is to come. This is one of the last times he's going to be able to just kind of do this, whatever before he has to set on a path of what do I do after this? Especially considering a lot of people go to different colleges. So you might not, who knows when you're going to see some of these people later. again? And he says Sloan only still has another year until she graduates. So he's like, you know, all right, do we, it's kind of alluding to him of, do I, I would marry her. He says that, but he's also like, she's, she's going to have to stay here for another year while I go and do whatever he's going to do. It's a very high school thing. You know, um, it probably feels low stakes now when you're watching the movie, but back then that would be such a, when you're that young, it is kind of like a thing that you're thinking about now. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have a relationship at that time, but when I, I stayed home for school. I went to a local school and commuted. But when I met my wife, we met on a blind date in February of 2013. And we started talking and then actually started dating in May of 2013. And at that point, I already knew I was going down to Disney to work for an internship. So we had conversations before we became like official, quote unquote, was... I said, I'm not going to like get into a relationship without like thinking that this can be something real, that this can be something long-term. So I'm, so I was kind of saying to her that if we do date that time in Florida is going to be like long distance, which it was, that was, (laughs) you know, in our first year we had to deal with five months of, of long distance relationship, but it was like, we were both committed to, we're going to take that seriously. I'm not entering in a relationship thinking that this might only last six months. I was like, I went into that relationship thinking I want this to work. I want this to last. So, you know, that was a big deal for me at that time. I'm sure now people would look at it and just say, ah, it's not like a super high stake thing, but this movie was relatively, Low stakes. And that's kind of something I was talking about when we said that we don't get movies like this. We, we don't get a lot of movies anymore like this where it is just kind of a fun thing without huge world altering stakes. Um, a lot of stuff now, like we said, were franchises or horror movies or um, something that's a little deeper than just kids skipping school to have an experience before they might ultimately go different paths, um, which is what they don't really ever settle that. And I think that's fine because I think that 
it's it's nice the way it is to just know that this is what they're thinking about on this day. Like, I'm glad they don't fast forward to Ferris's like graduation day or anything. Like, I'm kind of happy with the way that this movie ends. But yeah, just something that I kind of related to with his thoughts on Sloan and him. Uh, so then he takes Sloan home after they leave Cameron. And this is kind of where he is going to think, okay, I got to run back home. Uh, we knew he had to be home by six. He mentions that to Cameron. He says, what? I thought we had until six, you know, cause Cameron's saying, Hey, we should get this car home. Yeah. He was starting to freak out. Well, I'm assuming cause their parents get off at five and probably an hour commute six o'clock. <clears throat> so he starts running. He doesn't have a car obviously. So he has to run home and we're not sure how far Sloan lives, but uh it's it's enough to make it in five minutes or less yes and he runs out and almost gets hit by his sister by sister driving his mom after sister made out with uh charlie sheen yes and kind of has a great conversation with charlie sheen who knows ferris as well apparently um the cops even know ferris somehow Yes, yeah, tell your son we're all pulling for him. The whole station's pulling for him. Like, what the hell's going on? Not the reason you would think the sheriff and stuff would know about Ferris. You'd think he's gotten in some trouble or whatever, but no, it's it's for the safe Ferris. Um, But she has a great conversation with Charlie Sheen a bit where, uh, who has, plays a small bit role in this, where she kind of goes through about her frustrations with Ferris and this is the turning point for her when she is going to vouch for, for Ferris, I think is this. And then seeing Rooney again at the end is going to kind of what makes her, makes her vouch for him. But at first she sees him, her mom doesn't see him because of the papers going everywhere, but they both give a look and they know the race is on. She wants to get home and prove that Ferris wasn't there and he needs to get home. And this is the infamous scene then where he goes cutting through everybody's lawn. He grabs the guy's drink, right? He, uh, like you said, he stops and goes back. I like when he goes back to the women's sunbathing. He says, hey, I'm, I'm Ferris. And, you know, jumping on the trampoline, going through the person's house. He even goes through somebody's house and says, dinner's ready. And then just like books it. And he gets there. He's going to get in there in time. But Rooney is actually who's going to got the key got the key after under the mat car's been towed uh he lost his shoe he's been attacked yeah, by the dog once disheveled he got beat up by by genie right didn't she hit him yeah she kicked him in the face yeah <laughs> but this is when you know she's waiting by the back door for him knowing he's going to come in that way and then she sees Rooney and this is when she's going to open the door and be like, there you are. And kind of vouch for Ferris and reveal the wallet being yeah. laying in the house still. Um, yeah. And see, then the Rottweiler wakes up again. I think at that point, I think Rooney realizes like, I'm just, screwed. they're like, I can't even pursue this with Ferris anymore because you know, they have this over my head. Yeah, yeah, Jeannie knows that I broke into the I was inside their house. And this is not going to look good. 
especially I don't know, thirty five years later, when you know some stuff comes out about me. Yeah, but you know. Yeah, yeah. So Ferris gets back upstairs, gets in bed, and then a nice little bit of tension here where you think everything's fine, but then the snoring machine is still going, and he has to hit it with the the baseball perfectly as it bounces back in the glove while that, that they is the open most, up the door. That is the most 80 stereo system as well. Yes, yeah. Like you had to have separate, We used to have something like that. Yeah, you used to have to have separate components for everything. Like a separate receiver, a separate amplifier, separate record player, separate component for a tape deck, speakers. And also, yeah. the MTV intro in the beginning that actually played mm-hmm. music videos. Yeah, just peak 80s. So, uh, I think his dad even says, like, maybe you should take tomorrow <laughs> or something. Um, you know, they're going to make him some soup. And it's kind of the uh, the end of the movie here, and we get to the credits, where the credits are mostly playing to the OES song, and it's Rooney walking away. He's bitten, like he's got bloody ankle, and the school bus pulls over. They recognize him, and the school bus driver offers him a ride, and um. Again, maybe not the best in today's climate now with what we know about the actor <laughs> that I did not know. Uh, but yeah, he goes through the back of the bus. Everybody's shocked to see him and shocked at how disheveled he is. And he sits down next to a girl that is offering him a gummy bear. That's been in her pocket, so it's nice and warm. Yeah, gross. And then we get a post-credit scene of Ferris coming out of his bedroom, looking at the camera and saying, you're still here. It's over. Go home. Go. And that was the end of Ferris Bueller's day off. All right. So uh, talking about memes that came from it, I don't know much, but obviously big pop culture references now of the Bueller scene with Ben Stein Save Ferris is, uh, you know, shirts that you can buy in Target and stuff. There's a, um, there is, you know, like we said, a few references to the final scene when he's running through the, um, running through the yards. So there's lots of, uh, there's a saying life comes at you pretty fast. Yes. Yeah. That, that's something I've, posted before or said before yeah which i mean i i'll I'll be honest i've heard the saying before but i just never really paid attention to it and then i don't know just kind of once i watched it today and kind of after watching the movie and listening to it and looking at like cameron i i kind of get what he's saying maybe it's a little different for me yeah i mean i think it's a very real saying when you know um with how fast life does go. And, you know, he gave Cameron, this could be also called Cameron's day off. He gave Cameron a day that he'll probably remember and some very memorable stuff other than. We'll talk about that here with the dad. Uh, We'll talk. (laughs) Well, actually, uh, since I think next is ratings, let's talk about that now. So, yes. Do you mean the, the theory that goes around? Is that what we're talking about? No, no. Uh, a lot of people ask why wasn't there a sequel. Mm. Um, so I, I looked it up. 
Um, John Hughes, before he died, he, he had some thoughts about doing a sequel and he was going to do it like maybe college or like when he, he gets first gets out in the workforce, but Matthew Broderick started doing some other stuff. So he just never get around to it. Unfortunately, um, fortunately, John Hughes is no longer with us. Uh, yeah. The guy who plays, uh, Cameron has brought up an interesting thing. He says that if, if they did one, what he would like to see, and I think it could work, is Cameron is in a nursing home. And Ferris breaks him out for like one last day of, like one last day of shenanigans. Like breaks him out the nursing home for a day. And I think that could work. Or like maybe, maybe like Cameron's kids or his grandkids or something could break him out for like one day because they've heard stories about Ferris and, you know, Maybe during the course of that, we find out what happened to Ferris and if he ever married, uh, what's her name? And if his friendship yeah. with Cameron kind of stayed. I don't know. I don't think we'll ever get a sequel, unfortunately. No. Um, but in 2022, Paramount said they were coming up with something that was going to focus yeah. on... Which I th- it's original, okay? It's original. Sam and Victor's Day Off, I was going to bring this up, was announced for development for the streaming service Paramount Plus, taking place during the events of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but focusing on the two valets who took Cameron's father, Cameron's father's Ferrari on a joyride. I don't know how much this could work. I think it's uh, an interesting concept. I think it's interesting and... Like I said, if you want to go sequel, you know, you, Matthew Broderick's still around. The guy who plays Cameron is still around. Like Jennifer Grey, like you can you can work with them and come up with something, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and especially maybe if you tie with like grandkids or something, like there's different ways you might be able to incorporate family and, and friends. Obviously, the principal is probably not going to be involved in any sequels, but that's okay, right? Like you would yeah. hope not too, just for the fact of like. They're out of school. What do you need the principal for? <laughs> you never know. I, I hate to say it. I think even maybe just like a quick cameo, if they did a sequel, like a, a quick cameo, I think might be appreciated for fans of the movie. Yes, yeah. But like, I don't think he needs to play a big part in it. But just like, oh, hey, isn't that is something like something like that? But that's a whole nother topic that would need to be discussed and you'd have to bring up to the cast and crew if they were comfortable with it, with everything that happened. But I think it's original. Like, okay, you got these two dudes who went off on this adventure, right? They put a couple hundred miles on this car in a couple hours, okay? They make it back in time. They seem like they had a blast in their day, right? So, yeah, what happened during their day where they had this Ferrari out there? And and maybe it doesn't work. Maybe they weren't able to come up with a story. Maybe it never made it past the development phase. But I like the idea that they were trying to think of something original. Like, okay, we can tie it to Ferris Bueller, but what the, the, these two guys were just weird. And, like, what happened? What did they do? So I, I like I like the idea of, like, okay, it, it's something different, and, and let's try it. Maybe it didn't work. But. My whole thing is I just felt like they were always supposed to just be doing a joyride, so I feel like I don't know how much you can do with that, but I'm sure then they can make them go to all these other places or whatever but my, my worry would be one like two how do you set this movie up right like do you use archival footage of them dropping off the car but now you put 
the new actors in there or are you getting the older actors and de-aging them? Like, what are you doing? Like, that's, that's kind of something I don't know how that works. I think you could get some people with makeup and prosthetics to try and recreate the younger actors, right? Um, if, if they are still around, I think you might even be able to get the older actors because they were a little older than Cameron and Ferris, right? Yeah. Maybe they're in the nursing home and they're talking about their day. That they had. Well, 40, one of them is. One of them is still around. Uh, one of them passed in 2019. Oh, man. Um, Richard Edson is still alive. He's 70 years old, though. But. He was the one with, like, the. The meaner looking face, I guess you would say. Like, the goatee. Yeah. Long hair. If, if, he, if, he's the one still around. If you could get him, maybe he's in a nursing home talking about his wacky so you could have like him at his at this age right um talking about this wacky day he had back in 1985 which was like 40 years ago okay maybe you use use a little archival footage or maybe you just pick it up where from the time he gets in the car with the a younger actor playing him and takes off and you don't have to worry about using older footage or getting trying to recreate i don't know i I think there's ways it could be done like i said it's probably not the greatest idea in the world but i I gotta give him credit for at least trying something new and different instead of like oh let's just remake ferris bueller's day off completely yeah yeah well you know so so i i feel like a a sequel couldn't work The, the closest one would be probably what Alan Ruck said, right? Because it features Cameron heavily. Cause I do think what works about this movie is Cameron, uh, and Ferris's relationship. Uh, and, and Cameron kind of being like, he's the one Cameron's the one that really goes through the journey of what a hero would usually go through in the movie, not Ferris, right? Uh, Ferris Ferris didn't learn any lessons whatsoever. he, he He did not. He did not. So, one thing that I see Matthew Broderick say is um, we thought about a sequel to Ferris Bueller where he'd be in college or at his first job and same things would kind of happen again, but neither of us found a very exciting hook to that. The movie is about a singular time in your life. It is about the week before you leave school. It's about the end of school. In some way, it doesn't have a sequel. It's a little moment and it's a lightning flash in your life. You could try to repeat it in college, but it's, it's at a time that you don't um, where you don't keep. So that partly is why I think we wouldn't uh, couldn't think of another idea. So I do think that they are correct here that it is about that moment. And I actually never really growing up like ever thought of like, oh, I would love to see a sequel to this. They did try a TV show, though. Yeah. In 1990, starring Jennifer Aniston, actually, is Jeannie, by the way. And um, it was back before he graduated. This takes place like, uh, I don't know if it was supposed to be like a prequel. It was a non-canon continuation, they say. Um, So Ferris uh, apparently refers to the film and expresses his displeasure at Matthew Broderick portraying him. Yeah, it takes like a chainsaw to like a Ferris cardboard cutout or something. Um, but it's him in like junior year of Ocean Bay High School, which is a different 
name. I'm, I'm guessing they moved it to California or something instead. But I, I it think, got it got canceled after 13 episodes. I, I think if anything, the only thing that could work is maybe, like I said, uh, you know, what's it? Cameron's maybe in a nursing home, and either yeah. grandkids or like maybe even Matthew Broderick and Ferris. Ferris come back and kind of give him one last day. You know, maybe he's. I hate to say it. Maybe I hate to bring up some more. Maybe he's terminal, right? And he's in hospice mm-hmm. care or something. You know, but. You know, maybe they give him like one last day. You could play it off where he's like, I'm dying. And Ferris is like, you're not dying. He says, no, I actually no. got the result. And, and, and like, <laughs> like there's a doctor there or something like, no, yes. he's, he's really dying. Like, yeah, like, like I, I think I think something like that could work. You know? That could work. Yeah. But I feel like without John Hughes, it would not be not be as good. You know what would be cool if they did that? And, and this is probably just me going way too far. Because I guess all these movies are in the same universe. So yeah. if you're going to do that, give me like something from like, like a little tidbit from one of his other movies here or there. Like, let me see Molly Ringwald. You yes. Know, yeah. Or like Judd Nelson or like someone like just like throw something from one of these other movies in there as as they break Cameron out for his for his for his weird day off. Or yeah, whatever. like one of the other characters from like Breakfast Club is there. Yeah, something candles. like that. Like <laughs> let me like Ali Sheedy pops up and she's yes. like an investment banker or something now, and everybody's just like you know, like 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 uh, like if you're gonna do it, you have to honor John Hughes in the right way. Um, and, and you know, I, that might be the only way if something like that would ever even come about. It's crazy looking at his filmography, by the way. It really is. He wrote Vacation in 1983. Okay? 16 Candles in 84. Breakfast Club in 85. European Vacation in 85. Weird Science in 85. 86 was Pretty in Pink. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 87 is Some Kind of Wonderful and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I mean, he was just churning out movies. And this this is either handwriting or on a clunky typewriter. Yeah. He wrote Ferris Bueller in weeks. I think he wrote it in... What does it say here? He wrote it in... Uh, less than a week. This movie. Like, so You actually have to line the paper up and clack, 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 clack. Zing! Clack, 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 clack. Zing! Yeah. I would assume he probably hand wrote it, maybe, and then gave it to somebody to to type it. Who knows? I mean, because uh, I feel like you'd work faster handwriting and then having possibly. The only All right. Anyway, let's depending on your writing, like if people can interpret it. Yeah, yeah. Back then, I feel like people had better handwriting. Mine is awful now because I barely ever have to use it. Um. Oh, also, just like there was a fan theory out there before that Ferris Bueller doesn't exist in camera. It's. Uh, all in Cameron's head. Yeah. Enough with that stuff, please. Uh, that feels like, you know, it's like, it's like when something enters the public domain, Casey, and then they immediately make horror movies out of it. It is like, Steve the most, Willie. it is the Winnie the Pooh. It's like the most bottom of the barrel theory idea you can have. Is that either it's people, all a dream or they made it up in their head. Enough people have interacted with Ferris Bueller in this movie for that to not even be anywhere near the case. Like, at least if you look back at, say, The Sixth Sense, right? You can, maybe you don't catch it the first time, but 
the set on you know, repeated viewings, especially after you know everything, you can maybe acknowledge and look at the fact that like nobody has interacted with uh, Bruce Willis's character in the Sixth Sense. Right. Right. But the first time you watch it, like you're not really picking up on that. It's not until later when you when everything comes together where you're like, oh, that that is weird. But I know like enough people are physically talking to, touching, interacting with with Ferris Bueller for it to not be like, oh, he's a figment of his imagination. Dude, like like we talked about, this principal had a thing for him. His principal called up his parents. Yeah. He he went face to face with him in the very end because he thought he finally caught him. Like Yeah, it's I I don't know. It, like I said, people have done the same thing with like Rugrats with Angelica, like that all those babies were actually dead, and it's just Angelica having a crisis and so Jeez, weird. That, that's weird dark. that people like to go that way. Yeah. All right, let's get to ratings. Rotten Tomatoes, eighty-two percent critics, ninety-two percent audience. Cinema score was an A minus. I was actually surprised I was able to find a cinema score for some of these older movies. IMDb is at seven point eight. Metacritic at 61. It had a budget of $5 million and the box office made $70.7 million. Wow, for, for back in 85, that's pretty good. That's good. Um, I I rate this, of course, a five out of five stars. I really enjoyed This is the first time I watched it in a, in a few years, by the way. So it felt nice to kind of revisit it. Um. There are some things now that I feel feel like I'd probably dock points off for if I was not nostalgic. And like you said, the the dog just being introduced out of nowhere. Um, so, some stuff like that. But all in all, five out of five for me. Casey, give me your rating. All right. So I think having to put aside the, the issues with the principal, right? Because that that was not known at this time, can't <laughs> yeah, hold that at this against time, anybody. They had no clue. Can't yeah, can't hold that against anybody. Um, uh, like I said, the one small nitpick I had was just the dog, and I know that's a silly nitpick of like, so there's this this random Rottweiler that we've never seen or heard in the house at all. But um, uh, the '80s were definitely a different time, obviously, but it was. As someone who lived through the 80s and lived through a lot of stuff like this and lived through MTV and lived through seeing a lot of this stuff on in real time, um, it's a little nostalgic for me too. Trying to Even trying to push that to the side, I can acknowledge that John Hughes was great at what he did. He made some fantastic movies between writing and directing. He, he, was, he was an American treasure. And prolific i would say probably with the he, amount he turned out he truly was a national treasure and i, I in like I, 10 years he turned out like a bunch in 10 years that's crazy. i don't i don't know he's the kind of person honestly i look at it now i wonder if he ever got like the presidential medal of freedom or anything like that because of the amount of contributions he did i doubt that he did but i think looking back at it some of us will probably say he probably would deserve you know some acknowledgement of, of what he gave to our childhoods and adulthoods for people around him. Um, I'd say this is a four and a half out of five star movie. Um, I kind of wish I would have seen it earlier. Like I said, I've seen bits here and there. Um, I can understand why people love this movie. Um, and yeah, I, I 
that and uh, I would also if it was on sale, like if I was scrolling through Amazon and, and saw it, like, oh yeah, the Blu-ray like on sale for like five or ten bucks, I might be pretty tempted to be like, eh, I can waste five or ten bucks on that. I'm a little surprised actually because I felt like once I saw uh, once I'm revisiting and if Ferris is a little shit, I was like, oh, I don't know if he's gonna like Ferris as he like. is. <laughs> he he is, but. Sometimes, I mean, there's just people like that out there in life that just get away with everything. Yeah. Ultimately, he doesn't do anything, like, super bad, though, either, right? Like, Ferris, I feel he, like... He's just manipulative. He knows how to get yes. his way. He knows how to get his way. Yes. And and you, you know what saved it, too? I don't know if he meant it or not, but the fact that he was willing to stand up and take the blame for the car. Yes, yeah. Um, That's probably his biggest growth, but like the biggest growth is through Cameron. But yeah, yeah. But and and Cameron was able to grow. But the fact that he was willing to stand up and be like, you know what, I kind of push up to all this. I'm willing to. I'm willing to take this and and deal with the consequences. Uh, Something like that helps, as compared to like someone who's just like, oh, that sucks, dude. I got to be home in five minutes. I'm gonna check you later. Roll out the door. crazy he was only 59 when he died john he is how old was he when he made these movies like 20 he graduated school in 67 so i mean he was pretty young when he was making i thought i thought he died just within like the last 10 years 2009 feels like 10 years but it's almost 20 he graduated (laughs) high school you said he graduated high school in 67 actually it says he was a junior in 1967 as his high school picture here um so he dropped out of university of arizona and then started uh so he started working in like the 70s and then was break had his breakthrough with his first screenplay in like 82 he couldn't have been 50 when he died then but the, the math's not mathing on 59 that. 59 he was born in 1950 so he was making these movies. This movie, he was 36 making this movie. Okay. I was trying to figure out the That's math there, and I'm like, something's not adding up. Crazy how many times he was, like, that's very young to be that prolific, too. I mean, that's insane. Well, I mean, also, All right. I, I guess maybe his movies weren't expensive to make. Like, The Breakfast Club took place in, like, a library. Yeah, Breakfast Club's budget was $1 million. So I think if you look at it, the teen comedies back in back then, teen comedies were probably a big thing. Like you said, this one had a budget of five, made $70 million, right? Uh, I don't think yeah. he had a lot of big stars at the time. I think a lot of them were younger and up-and-coming stars. Yep. So they're, His they're... first directing gig was 16 Candles. Before that, he was just writing. So... so... Yeah, it's it's fairly cheaper to get everybody. Like I said, his budgets probably aren't too big. And then you look at the returns on the box office. Like, I yeah. can understand why they You're would keep going money. back to him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all the way up to his last movie was uh, a movie called Just Visiting in the year two thousand one. Is written. By him, but his last directing gig was Carly uh, Curly Sue in nineteen ninety one. Oh wow! I, I, re- I never watched it, but I remember Curly Sue. Yeah, man, he even wrote Beethoven, the do- movie about the dog, in nineteen ninety two. 
And he wrote the first three Home Alones, of course, and apparently wrote the story for Made in Manhattan with Jennifer Lopez. I did not know Jesus. that. Didn't write the script, but he had the story of it. Okay. Well, that's John Hughes and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So, Casey, what are we watching next week? We're going to stay in the 1980s next week. So, we're going to go during a dark time in our lives. 1987. We are... Uh, it's a dark time in my life. I wasn't even alive yet. <laughs> uh, there was a void in 1987. Because we were four years past the return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. But we were 12 years away from the Phantom Menace. So we had no Star Wars yes. in our lives. The only Star Wars that was going on was then-President Ronald Reagan talking about a missile yeah. defense system uh, that was named Star Wars. We're going to go to the, the films of Mel Brooks. We're All right. Space Spaceballs, balls, I guess. Yeah. You have the ring. And I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Now let's see how well you handle it. All right. So we're, uh... I was going to say three comedies in a row, but no, we did Gladiator and Spider-Verse, too. Austin and Austin Powers, this and, and that. All right. Uh, so Spaceballs, do we have a... Um, let me look to see where that's at. It is... I, I, it, I think it's streaming on a couple different platforms. I had seen it. I just had uh, I I did double check to make sure. So it is currently on Max. Yes. All right. So As there you go. Recording. Spaceballs. As of this, As of this recording. recording. Well, we're not we're no longer like six weeks yeah. ahead, so uh, it should be still streaming on Max by the time we release this. But still, two weeks can change a lot. Yes, like a week or two can can definitely make some changes there. All right, so we're watching Spaceballs on Max next week. Thank you all for watching or listening along with us. You can follow us on all of the socials in the show notes below or in the show notes of your podcatcher. Um, Make sure you rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Spotify allows rating now as well. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll catch you next time for Spaceballs.